Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and the last time I took a crap in a bucket in a van, they arrested me. But apparently it's okay to do in movies. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. I need the big bucket, okay? <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Is this your bucket? <laughs> is it big? Uh... <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on the Slash Homecast. Today, as you might have surmised from that, what you just heard, uh, our main review is going to be had a Chloe shit Zhao's, in the bucket. Chloe, yeah. <laughs> Chloe Zhao's new movie, Nomadland, starring Francis McDormand. We got Roxana Haddadi coming to join us for that uh, part of the po- uh, podcast. We're really excited about that. Uh, before that, we got some what we've been watching, some weekly plugs for you, and uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. All right. Uh, before we get to that, I got an email I want to read. Sh- should I do the email bumper, even though it's just one email? What do you, yes. what do you guys think? All right. All yes. right let's we don't do... have the email bumper to not use it, Dave. Here we go. Emails. You should have dubbed over that at the very end. (laughs) (laughs) Last week, we were graced with an email from Sue Brunning. uh, And she is one of the people that manages the uh, Sutton Who excavation uh, over at uh, the uh, British Museum. And it was amazing to hear from her because she is uh, famous and and talented in her own right. And uh, it's amazing that... uh, she listens to this podcast. Uh, towards the end of that email discussion, Jeff Kanata asked the question, uh, what, what is the deal with the tarp in the movie The Dig? So let's, can we set the scene for people, Jeff Kanata, like, yeah. in the movie The Dig, tarp is used, and like you have well, a question about it. So explain what's yes. going on in the film and why you have a question about it. In 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 the uh, the UK, we know there's quite frequent rains, and uh, in the movie, there are numerous moments when it is just torrential downpour. Uh, and there, you know, our our main character, who is very concerned about this archaeological dig, uh, at certain moments in the middle of the night, will run out and attempt to tarp over the uh, the dig site, uh, which again seems very reasonable thing to do. Before it rains, right? Before it rains, tarping mm-hmm, it seemed mm-hmm. really uh, important to me. It seemed like uh, you know, uh, what uh, buckets on the Titanic, you know. And I'm, I don't mean for shitting, you know. It felt it felt like a futile effort, a a Sisyphusian uh, attempt to do something. And I was like, well, why would you attempt to tarp it after rain had already been washing everything away? Is that seem just seems futile but uh mm-hmm. and, and i we got an email about this it's amazing yeah jason from the academy of natural sciences of drexel university uh he has a phd in vetter uh, vertebrate paleontology writes quote uh i was inspired to hear sue brunning's email in last week's episode as a paleontologist my science also involves excavation based data collection the dig was a profoundly moving experience for me this film is all about that thing that I spend all my time thinking about time and our place in it. It is so eloquent in its communication of topics. I have a hard time relating to others. What is buried in the ground doesn't belong to the present or the past. It belongs to the future. 
We here in the present are stewards of the past in service of the future. It is responsibility, and we in museums bear that responsibility. In The Dig, when Edith Pet- uh, Pretty, played by Carrie Mulligan, finally decides to donate the... Well, I guess I should... <laughs> I guess I should... I, you know, I haven't spoiled it quite yet. So, like, uh, there's spoilers yeah, for The yeah. Dig in this email. So, in The Dig... <laughs> spoilers for The Dig... <laughs> When Edith Pretty, Carrie Mulligan, finally decides to donate the artifacts to the British Museum, that's the spoiler part, um, I cheered. There is no more pure act of scientific support than donating a discovery to a museum, and I continue to cheer Sue Brunning and her staff doing the good work of keeping these materials accessible. In case Dr. Brunning doesn't respond to Jeff's question about the tarp and the rain, I'll happily fill it. For buried objects as old as those of Sutton Hoo, and certainly for fossils as old as the ones I study, which are 360 million years old, what is holding these objects together is almost entirely the pressure of the surrounding sediment. Dirt at Sutton Hoo, rock in my case. So as long as that sediment is in place, the artifacts or fossils will hold together. Remove it as we do an excavation, and the object will quickly fall apart into pieces. In some cases, literal dust. Water accelerates that disintegration. Little water is good for adhesion, like building a sandcastle. A lot of water is really bad for adhesion, like a sandcastle in the rain. When we tarp an excavation site, we're trying to keep water off the fresh exposures of now disintegrating materials. If water is pooling in a quarry because of rain from above, the tarp helps. If water is pooling from below because the water table has risen to the surface, certainly the tarp does not help. Oftentimes in the field, we can't know which is responsible for the pooling, so we tarp and we bail the water. Is it sometimes fruitless? Oh, yes. But tarping is easy, but not not a foolproof way to protect a site. Thanks for reading. Love the podcast. Been listening for my entire adult life, it seems. I feel like there is a life lesson in this. You know, you just, you tarp. You tarp because you can. <laughs> you it's the tarp. only thing you could do. <laughs> Sometimes when, it when works. all is lost, you tarp. <laughs> Even when it seems like tarping will do nothing, you yes. still tarp. You still tarp. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much to uh, Jason for that uh, message. We really appreciate it. And uh, also, uh, Sue Brunning did write back. She just she she generously offered to answer all of our questions and give us a tour if we're ever in the UK. So uh, oh that's uh, that's something that we can awesome. um, amazing. We should uh, uh, we should do uh, when you know what, guys? we are able to leave the country again. I'm going to get that vaccine after all. <laughs> <laughs> She says, quote, if circumstance should ever bring you to London in, f- in the future, I'd be delighted to give you the grand tour and answer these questions, end quote. So thanks to That's Sue amazing. for that generous offer as well. Uh, I'm glad that finally swung it for you, Jeff. You know, I've been, yeah, yeah. Conv- I've been like ragging on you for weeks. Just get the vaccine, Jeff. Finally a reason to leave my house. You, I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> what possible reason would I have to leave my house, Dave? Now you gave me one. Thank you, Sue. I mean, you're being a little sarcastic, but you are genuinely grateful, grateful I think, right? I'm um, genuinely grateful. I'm genuinely yeah. Also, I, there was no no moment where I didn't want to get the vaccine. Please, please get your vaccines, everybody. <laughs> yes. Please. Thanks to all of your emails. Keep them coming in to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. All right. Let's talk about what we've been watching. We've got a lot of stuff to cover today on what we've been watching. Um, I want to start by talking about a movie called I Care A Lot. Have you guys heard of this movie, I yes. Care A Lot, that's on Netflix yeah. right now? I'm, I'm annoyed I didn't get to see it this weekend, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. How could you not? You're, if you're, you're annoyed Netflix. you didn't see it this past weekend? Is that what you're saying, Devendra? Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so this is a new movie by Jay Blakeson that stars uh, Rosamund Pike and uh, some very other, like a lot of other talented people Isaac Gonzalez, uh, Diane Weist, Chris Messina, Peter Dinklage, like great cast. I heard Weist is amazing. 
She's everyone is awesome in this movie. Um, I love so, a good Weist. Can I? <laughs> I do. I do. She's amazing. Yeah, she's I love great. She Loved her in uh, Synecdoche. Lost Boys. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, okay. Do you guys mind if I disclose the premise of this movie? I, I'm I, not going to yeah, spoil yeah. it. I know. Uh, Devendra's fine with the premise. Jeff, if you don't hear the sure, premise, like sure. take the headphones off the for a minute. But uh, the so, okay. So the premise. I'm going to read the plot summary. Is basically. Uh, well, I, actually, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna give even less information away than what the the premise is. But, <laughs> but essentially, the movie is about Rosamund Pike, who plays a woman named Marla Grayson. Great name, and she is a legal guardian, right? Uh, so people become wards of the state. They need someone to take care of all their finances and their houses and their assets and stuff. Marla Grayson is one of those people. Problem is, and this is revealed in literally the opening, you know five minutes of the film is she's often taking quote unquote, taking care of people who don't need taking care of guys. Uh, she's taking care of people who, uh, don't need her services. Yeah. But quite the grift. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, but cause she, she is, cares a lot. No, but she, she, I mean, that's what she says out externally, mm. Jeffrey, mm. but you see, there's this irony in the title because maybe, the movie asks the question she doesn't care a lot question mark oh what? I maybe know. the care was the lot we learned along the way <laughs> no i tried uh, to make it into a thing <laughs> so rosamund pike is a super talented actress loved her in gone girl she's and... also very good at this apparently right yeah yeah well I heard this is like a Gone Girl sequel, basically. In a way, right? I mean, she could basically be playing the same exact character. Yeah. She is very much an anti-heroine in this movie. And here's my problem with this movie. I was super enjoying this movie for the first two thirds. This was going to be one of my favorite movies of 2021 so far. And then the movie... Shits the bucket in the final third, in my opinion. I mean, basically, <laughs> basically, the problem that this movie has is, uh, and it's very similar to another movie called Layer Cake, by the way. It, it both, it, like, in every way, in terms sure. of the plot, in terms of the style, in terms cake, of the yeah. editing, in terms of l literally the color grading of Layer Cake is similar to the color grading in this movie. Like, this is a Layer Cake sequel, then I am down. Yes. But the problem with comparing this movie to Lyric Kick is the main character is so unforgivable in this film because she is victimizing the it's elder abuse, right? Yeah, She's yeah. victimizing the weakest, most helpless people in society other than babies. It's babies <laughs> and then elderly people. Basically uh, like that's the Dave that's has the a, a frequently updated weakest people list. <laughs> <laughs> that's right every every week i check my power rankings of society it's babies at the bottom every week <laughs> and For then the elderly people 600th close second the week in a row babies <laughs> still the weakest i know come I know. on babies it, it never come changes on. it's because there's it's because their skulls are too low you know it's an evolutionary thing right mm. they're born they're born with skulls that are too large they're helpless they can't walk <laughs> um so anyway the main character, like, imagine Lair Cake. So, do you guys remember what the main character in Lair Cake does? Yes. Cocaine. He's I a, do not, actually. He's a drug dealer. He's a yeah. drug right. dealer, right? Yeah. And imagine if, he, he, but but in the movie Lair Cake, he's a middle person, right? He does. He's yeah. not, like, selling drugs directly to the end user. But imagine if, like, that was his job. He, imagine if his job in the movie was selling drugs to kids. And the then they showed the you weakest. the kids. 
and they, aka the weakest in society, right? Yeah. And then they showed you the kids' lives being horribly ruined by him selling the drugs, right? Like yeah. you, would, uh, so you're saying Breaking Bad? <laughs> well, even the, even Breaking Bad, they don't really dwell on like the terrible consequences of his uh, actions. They, there's they, a they bit dwell of that, on the consequences yeah. of his actions yeah. to his family. But like right. not um, to society as a whole, in my opinion, at least you get yeah, you get yeah. a taste of it. You get a yeah. taste of it. Uh, and unfortunately, this movie, right, really, right from the jump, makes the character completely unforgivable. Like I cannot root for this person, and in fact, I am hoping they suffer a terrible death. And that's a but problem. that that is the enjoyment, you know. Well, that's a, a problem a for this like film because uh-huh. I think the movie is positioning her as kind of the antiheroine, right? Mm. It's positioning her as the Walter White or the Daniel Craig character in Layer Cake, where like you, despite their flaws, despite the fact that they're into unsavory things, you kind of root for these people. You kind of want right. them to succeed a little bit, at least. And I just like I I don't want any part of what this person is doing to succeed. So uh, that is the fundamental flaw of the movie. And as a result, it made me really angry. Um, so I can't say I like this movie, but you get to it two thirds of the movie, Dave. I was I guarantee you <laughs> Devinder loves this movie. Yes. hundred percent. hundred percent. Because well, if I like most of a movie <laughs> and the ending is just so so, that is still a mostly liked movie. That's mad. <laughs> Come on, Dave. <laughs> So, Dave, I, you always round up on your likings. You always you round up. That. You're right. You're right. Two thirds of a movie is basically one good movie, right? So I don't. It's better than most two, movies. Yeah. Two thirds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the optimism, Divina. Uh, yeah. So anyway, wasn't a fan. Movie made me a- actively angry, and uh, at the same time, you get to see. Rosamund Pike doing her thing. Peter Dinklage is in this movie, and this is like my favorite role of Peter. Like, I've seen Peter Dinklage in X-Men. I've seen Peter Dinklage in Avengers Infinity War. This is my favorite Peter Dinklage role is, that I've seen. Isn't he like a, a crime lord in this movie or something? I, I'm not going to say who he is, I, but I'll I just say... I want to see this. I I'll want just to see say that. He, yes. This is my favorite role of his post-Game of Thrones. He is, uh, he is great in this movie. So I just thought it was not, so weird that you were <laughs> listing off the best... <laughs> Peter Dinklage roles, and those are the two you picked. And then I realized, oh, post Game post of Thrones. Game I guess. Of Thrones. But I was like, yes. you're not station agent. You're not bringing it. No, there's no. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. You're not a fan of Boulevard Trask, Jeff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so it's not it's not completely without merit. Like, it's there's still a lot of good things to recommend it, but it just. I just found that the movie wasn't rooting for the same things I was rooting for, and that's just a really painful cognitive dissonance for me. So, anyway. Sounds sounds like at least you cared a lot. <laughs> that is true, Jeffrey. That is true. Nailed it. Yeah. Uh, that's I Care A Lot. It's streaming right now on Netflix. Uh, okay. Uh, I also had a chance to watch Freaky, which oh, is so streaming right now video on demand. what you think about this movie. I really enjoyed it. And Jeff, I think that here's the thing I don't like about what you said about the re- in, in your review, Jeff. Here's what I don't is, like about Yeah, here's you. the thing I don't like about you. This is something I say every episode. Um, is I think during the review, you said that this movie, Freaky, which has, uh, what, Vince Vaughn uh, playing a serial killer and uh, what's her name? Catherine Newton playing kind of the uh, innocent high school girl that he switches places with. 
you said this movie, Freaky, should have been called Freaky Friday the 13th. Yeah. Said, did you say that? I, I, I did. And I could not stop thinking about that the entire film. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was so right. It. Because, was because so right. it is so, you are so right. You are so, you have never been more right about anything, including Nomadland, <laughs> than in your assessment of Freaky. Right? It needed uh, the IP. It would have been so much better with the actual IP, right? It would have been, it, 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 not only would it have been better with the IP, it clearly wanted to be Yes. That. It wanted like, that so bad. It was it a spec script it. that somebody wrote, hoping that they could persuade yeah. whoever owns the IP to Friday the 13th. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, by the way, I learned recently, like, uh, Friday the 13th, like, the, the rights for that franchise are basically in legal limbo. It's very likely we won't see another Friday the 13th film until literally the people involved in the lawsuit oh, man. die. Probably like mysteriously in the woods. (laughs) It's probably not like it's just it's going to be many, many years before we see another Friday the 13th. I was about to say, like, it couldn't be a taste thing, right? Like they were they they had no problem with a lot of those other Friday the 13th. No, I think it's just like who who gets basically who gets the money from like making new Friday the 13th movies or Friday the 13th affiliated movies. So uh, very unfortunate that it's probably going to be in legal limbo for a really long time. Um, but yeah, as great as Vince Vaughn is, it would have been so much funnier. Oh my God. Right. Can right, you imagine? Yeah. Like it just would have been so perfect. That said, I really enjoyed the movie and it's, it's enjoyable because it's playing with the same ingredients that, you know, from other body swap films, yeah. but it is reconfiguring them in a very different way. Like, Imagine if body swap movies are like Taco Bell. And what I mean by that is they just take the same ingredients and they rearrange them, you know, in different configurations. That's basically what going to Taco Bell is, right? (laughs) And uh, that's what body swap movies are. But what Freaky does is it's like, instead of ground beef, you know, what if we threw in General Tso's chicken? Or something like that, right? But, like something that you're like, I oh, can't. You really was doing so well things. with this analogy up until yeah. that part. You well, were like knocking it out of the park with that analogy, and then <laughs> and then you got to there, and it just. But it that's what I'm saying, Jeff. That's you. what I'm saying. You don't see it coming. You do, it, yeah. imagine if it was something that you're like that's so weird, I would never have seen it coming. And in this case, in the analogy, it is some. It is general so chicken, or in this case, switching places with a serial killer. So it still has all the beats. Of a body swap comedy, which is uh, that both people kind of learn something about themselves. And then, like, the elements of a body swap comedy are both people need to learn something about themselves. And then the other person who has swapped into your body needs to teach you, like, a better way to use your body. Right? That's like... (laughs) And it's like, well, how... For stabbing! (laughs) Well, how are you going to do that in a movie where you swap places a serial killer? And the movie finds a way to do that. It's kind of strained at some points <laughs> in in doing that but it's like oh it's it's kind of fun and inventive how it does it so i had a lot of fun with freaky i yeah. think it's uh just just a blast like don't surprisingly take it surprisingly good right yeah. yeah don't take it too seriously as you said the biggest pleasure of this movie is watching vince vaughn act like a high school girl um, wasn't a fan of the like Aztec Mayan, you know, element to, to the the sort of dagger thing they had. Like that was yeah. a little bit mm, that was a little bit icky, but everything else I thought was a delight. And it's just it's a fun, you know, relatively low budget, gory horror film, uh R rated. Uh check it out. It's some really fun kills. 
Yeah, some really mm. fun kills. Yeah, go ahead. I'm Come wondering here. what will Christopher Landon remix next because he is just kind of on a roll right now yeah. between this and like Happy Death Day and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm I'm curious, uh, but super talented guy, and I had a great time with Freaky. It's available right now on video on demand. All right, those are the things I've been watching. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our newest sponsor, IP Vanish. So what is IP Vanish? Well, IP Vanish is a virtual private network, a VPN for short. A VPN is a super important tool that helps you safely browse the internet. You can use a VPN on your computer, on your tablet, on your phone, even things like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. When you use a VPN, all your data is encrypted. What you're reading, what you're searching, what you're watching, whatever it is you're doing. And IP Vanish is just $3.49 a month. For just $3.49 a month or $27.99 a year, you can help protect your online privacy and security. So here's everything you get with IP Vanish. Anonymous IP addresses. That means your personal IP address can't be tracked by anyone on the web. You can circumvent any online censorship. IP Vanish has more than 1,500 servers in over 70 locations. And you get protection when using public Wi-Fi. Remember, with IP Vanish, all your data is encrypted, so no one can snoop on what you're doing. So go to ipvanish.com slash filmcast. Claim your 65% savings. Wow. They have plans starting at just $3.49 a month or $27.99 a year. And this is the time to sign up. With our discount and their current promotional offerings, you can get a VPN for 65% off their usual offering. IP Vanish is the best of the best, even rated 4.7 out of 5 on Trustpilot. And that's with more than 6,000 reviews. Show these guys some love. Remember, it's ipvanish.com slash filmcast to get the deal and start protecting yourself online. Let's go to you, Jeff. What are you watching? Well, I have a movie that I think you would actually like, Dave. It seems like right up your alley. Um, before I ever was on this here podcast, uh, when I was doing the the uh, the Totally Rad show, when your when your life was idyllic, happy, you were frolicking in fields, yeah, you know, without a care in the world, didn't have to do a single limerick, just didn't need to do it. Yeah. Um, there was a documentary that still ranks as one of my favorite documentaries of all time. And it is a documentary called Best Worst Movie. Yes. Michael Stevenson, right? Michael Paul Stevenson, who was in the original Troll 2 as a child actor, uh, then directed a documentary about Troll 2, the, the, you know, designated as, as one of the worst movies of all time. But people love it because it's so bad. It is a delightful documentary. It is it is surprising and uh, endearing and amazing. It's a great, great, great movie. If you haven't seen Best Worst Movie, definitely. I don't know where you can find it. it maybe I'm maybe streaming somewhere, but f- hunt it down. It's wonderful. Well, Michael Paul Stevenson is uh, that was I think his first documentary, but he has gone on to make more documentaries, and his newest, which literally just debuted. Um, is called Attack of the Murder Hornets. Mm. Attack of the Murder Hornets. Sounds pleasant. Yeah. Yes. And this is a movie that was made very, very recently about the thing that I'm sure all of us saw the headline probably on Twitter about, which is the fucking murder hornets (laughs) that 
were discovered in North America for the first time, and, and specifically in the Pacific Northwest in Dave's neck of the woods. Yep. Uh, these are called uh, Asian giant hornets. Mm -hmm. uh, they're native to Japan, uh, and they somehow, we don't know how, the movie kind of goes into the various theories, but somehow made their way to North America. And these things are goddamn nightmare machines. Yeah. There, uh, there's great YouTube videos of them, by the way, of just them like destroying a, a bee's hive. Yes, it's yes. They, they, yeah. they, they call them murder hornets because they go into a beehive and they behead all of the bees. They, they behead As them. As you do. As you do. And yeah. eat their thoraxes. And so it's it's literally like a, yeah. a goddamn murder scene. The Conan um, the Barbarians of the uh, whatever yes. this insect family is. And they're enormous. I mean, it looks like something out of a sci-fi film in real life. They are, they are alien creatures. They're huge, huge hornets. Um, and um, they're wrecking havoc in uh, in north uh, the Pacific Northwest on... Bee farmers, and we know that bees are pretty important to the ecosystem of the world. Um, I think Einstein said, you know, if the bees go away four years later, humans go away. Um, so it's bad. You know, it's, this is an invasive, invasive species. And this is a documentary about what people are doing about it and the people that are trying to do things about it. And it is fascinating. I mean, it gave me... Serious heebie-jeebies, you know, just made my skin crawl uh, numerous times because there's lots of shots of these things doing their their shit that they do. And, uh, you know, so if you're, you know, if you're triggered by bugs, this is, may not be the, the movie for you. But it's also really interesting. Um, and you see the process by which they try to hunt these things. And it's like, how do you, how do you, how do you kill a, a bug? that you don't know very much about. Uh, and how do you find it? How do you track it? How do you eradicate it? It's this mission to eradicate it because it's literally could be... Uh, An existential threat to humanity, basically. Yes, yes. Anyway, very, very interesting. Uh, I thought it was really cool. It's a brisk 90 minutes. Uh, if I, I don't know where it's streaming. I, um, how did you Michael acquire Paul, it? Michael Paul yeah. Stevenson uh, sent me a link. Um, we kind of become friendly and, uh, he's awesome. And he sent me a link to check it out. Uh, I think it is, is just debuting. It's, it's, uh, I think maybe on discovery, discovery or something. Yeah. It's on discovery plus. Yeah. Yeah. So check it out. I, I found it. It's not something that I probably would have clicked on myself, uh, because you know, I, I get a little weirded out by bugs, but <laughs> I'm really glad I watched it. I, it, it, I learned a lot and I thought the the journey, the sort of roller coaster ride of like, how do you even deal with this? There's kind of a mystery, not a mystery, but more like a, an adventure story of these these guys trying to, uh, you know, find and kill these things, uh, and the the wild personalities of all the people involved. It's 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 pretty interesting. I dug it. Back of the murder hornets. You know, uh, Michael Paul Stevenson and I are are kind of friends too and uh or so i thought jeff hmm. until you said that just now yeah because oh. uh how I does didn't it get... feel like to be left out of a screener dude? This, i i didn't get this... pinged with any link mm. oh this feels so much sweeter now <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know if you're listening michael but uh not cool man not cool to uh, i mean send extremely cool uh, not, Extremely cool. Not, not cool. You know, any interest I had in Attack of the Murder Hornets completely eradicated you know, because 
Michael Paul Stevenson, director of Attack of the Mortar Hornets, streaming streaming on Discovery, did not send me a link personally. And now um, I'm deeply hurt. I'm deeply hurt. Jeff Canada, what else you watch this week? <laughs> uh, I checked out the new CNN show. Yeah, that's right. I'm talking about a show on CNN, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. They do good food shows. Yeah. Called Stanley Tucci Searching for Italy. Uh, this is, you know, Stanley Tucci positioned as the new Anthony Bourdain, evidently. Um, very similar in the sense that it is beautifully shot mm. travel porn <laughs> with food porn. You know, it's, it's very much uh, live vicariously through Stanley Tucci as he eats delicious things, talks to interesting people and goes to beautiful, idyllic locations. Uh, as somebody who was married in Italy, has Italian heritage, you know, I um, already was sort of eating it up. No pun intended. Um, mm, and <laughs> and Stanley Tucci literally looks like my relatives. I mean, he looks like my my cousins almost exactly. In fact, my dad texted me today and was like, "Did you have you watched the Stanley Tucci show on CNN?" And I went, <laughs> "Dad, yeah, I, I watched. I already watched it." And he's like, "Doesn't it look like our family?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah it, does. it does, Dad." Um, That's how that works. And the thing I learned most about Stanley Tucci searching for Italy is that Stanley Tucci can wear a shirt. That dude knows <laughs> how to wear a shirt. Have you have you not seen how much of the internet is just thirsty for Stanley Tucci at this point? Dude. It is. It is ridiculous. He can wear a he can work shirt. It. Sure. That dude, like the, the costume designer on that shirt. I mean, he must be wearing $500 shirts. They, yeah, they are yeah. like exquisite, incredible the shirts. The best. Come on. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, I was like, oh man, this is amazing. But it's it's interesting between this and Attack of the Murder Hornets, uh, both of them. <laughs> so I'm curious make a comparison. what your next sentence is going to be. <laughs> going to be a making comparison. <laughs> they both made you very hungry. Very They're hungry. almost exactly the same experience. No, um, the uh, one of both... them is about <laughs> one of them is about uh, you know a creature. Eating its way through an ecosystem. <laughs> and the other and the one is murder the attack of murder hornets. <laughs> one of them is an invasive species where he should not be devouring everything in sight. <laughs> uh, no, um, they are both, a, you know, documentary um, um, content that was created after COVID started, mm. which is, I think, the first stuff that I've watched like that. And it is so weird, man. It's so weird watching, like, everybody refer to COVID, masked people everywhere in this documentary style. Like, it is it's weird. Both of them were shot during COVID. And it's, wild. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a, just a such a... New paradigm, you know, and it really is. We've gotten to the point where content is coming out that was not made before the world changed yeah. and reflects the way the world is now. You know, you can when see you that in some of the new shows, by the way. But yeah, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, how do you I think the thing that uh well well, here's my question is mm -hmm. is it obvious that people have taken safety measures? Do they disclose at all, or is it like is everyone wearing masks? Like how how is it is it conveyed in any way that protocols have been taken to like protect basically? Uh, Stanley Tucci in the first episode of Searching for Italy like specifically calls it out and says, good, good. you know, like explains, you know, 
this area was hit. Da, da, da. We we came here. We're do, following it. You never see him. Well, that's not true. Not never. There's a couple of times in a car where he's wearing one, but almost never is he wearing a mask. Mm. Uh, but a lot of other people are wearing a mask. Mm. And Attack of the Murder Hornets, like people are wearing masks throughout and they're talking, they make reference to COVID. They compare the murder hornets as being equally threatening to life on this planet as a pandemic. You know, it's it's very much in the zeitgeist of both of these shows. It's fascinating. And yeah. when you say you feel it feels weird, like I'm curious, like, do you do you not like it? Because I, I guess uh, no, it just I feels am, like. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. What, yeah, what well, I, I guess I'm I'm cool with it as long as they acknowledge the because they're trying to entertain us in a very different yeah. circumstance. And as long as they acknowledge the reality of it, I'm OK with it. Um, I guess I'm, a, I have a very limited slice of content that I'm not okay with, right? The content I'm not okay with is like content that's like about the pandemic or right. content that like, it's very, very obvious. Like they try to disguise the fact that it was made during the pandemic, but it's like, right. you know, it all takes place in one room with two people or whatever. Um, no, I think that's exactly what's so weird to me about it is yeah. that it's not, it's things. not the point. It's like, it's just this thing that is also happening and, and and what's weird is like yeah, yeah. Th- that is what's also happening in the like this we've is not even the what it's about phase we've reached yes. the acceptance phase of <laughs> yes. this uh yeah phase of whatever we're in it's crazy yeah yeah and but i guess like i'm i'm theoretically okay if like hey people are trying to you know make entertaining content and they're taking they're taking precautions you know like uh, it feels yeah. feels okay to me well, and sure. also feel, it I feels like it, it's not we're not going to be in this for that much longer unless again I mean, as yeah, long as yeah. humanity, you know, does the right thing in the next six months, we're going to be fine, guys. So, yeah, there's no you know, way we can screw this up. We can't screw this one up. <laughs> I'm laughing to keep from crying. There's anyway, no way Americans will shit the bucket on this one. <laughs> so Stanley Tucci searching for Italy, you recommend, Jeff, overall? Yeah, I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, it's a very specific kind of show and it's a very... You know if you like those shows or not, right? It's a it's a very good version of shows that are around a lot. That it's not it's not doing anything special. Yeah. Uh, it's is just it like, more than just him eating? Like, is he actually yeah. engaging with the culture and doing different things? <laughs> yes, I mean he is he is talking about these different regions of Italy and investigating. And there's a lot of history of of like you know the pizza, for example, in the first episode. Uh, like where it came from in Napoli and all these, there's a, so there's a lot of information to be, be gained too, uh, f- you know, foodie type information. And it's, it's a very entertaining version of this. And and it's, you know, if you like Anthony Bourdain, if you like, you know, the numerous other food network shows that are like this, you'll like this too. And if Stanley Tucci makes a great host of a show like this, like you keep the dude clearly cooks a lot, right? I mean, big night was like autobiographical, mm. right? So, um, and so he he can and he speaks Italian, which is awesome. So he can like fluently converse with all these Italians. And the, a lot of the show is just spoken in Italian, which is really kind of neat. Um, so yeah, clearly like off. he loves the shirts it. and the Italian. Dude, come on, Tucci. yes, I mean come, come on. on, and no socks, never, never socks. Oh, he's yeah. just it's beautiful. He's kind of just he's one of those guys that is very talented and just overall quite likable. You know, yeah. like. Yeah. I've, he, he's you're very pleasant. He comes off as very pleasant and amiable. I'd have no problem watching a a cooking show, or even when he's playing feature. a character that's kind of a jerk. Yeah, like he is always. Yeah. You still want to be his friend. Yeah, um, Jeff. One question for you: How do, do you watch somebody feed Phil on Netflix? I have not watched that. I it is somebody very recommended good. that to me. Yeah, it is yeah. very good. I think you'd appreciate that. But I'm just wondering because, hey, after uh, Bourdain left us, I felt like 
none of the food shows could really keep up, right? Like all the travel shows just felt like they were all worse in comparison. So I've been looking for something. Uh, Somebody Feeds Phil is pretty good and very light, uh, but it sounds like this one's pretty light too, I guess. It is very light. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think it has the edge that Bourdain had, but I don't think it's trying to, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. it's good though. I was just uh, listening to former guest of the show. Dan Merle has a podcast called all my movies where he reviews all the movies he has, like physical media he has and he recently discussed uh transformers age of extinction i think you guys remember that movie but anyway it starts standing no. yeah mm, and also right. the movie is uh quite, can i just say it's just so weird guys that we had this series of movies that ate like 12 years of michael bay's directorial career and that hugely respected actors like academy award winning actors like francis mcdormand Sure. Who's the yeah. star of our movie? They need today. money. They need All money. Just kind of like we're like, hey, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll stop by this movie. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, do a little stage. John Turturro. Mm-hmm. John Turturro. You know, I mean, he he was no G. He was there from the beginning. Yeah, that's really what I'm saying. So weird. Kelsey Grammer. It's just so weird that this <laughs> and and there's no memory whatsoever of any of these films, right? Like, I don't. If you if you yeah. like, tell me the plot of Transformers: Age of Extinction for a thousand dollars, I I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, yeah, those movies kept doing really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm glad that Tucci's come back from that, man. That's basically what I'm trying I don't to say. think you can touch He's Tucci, sitting right? Pretty. He, yeah. He, yeah. He was in, he was, he like wore the goofy wig in the Hunger Games movies. <laughs> no <laughs> rub, no negative rub on Tucci. Like, let him do, you wore the weird teeth, you know, for that movie. Like, well, okay, go for it, Tucci. Do it. You be <laughs> you, buddy. Get that paycheck. He was Herb Kazaz in Bojack Horseman. I loved him yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway. Kanata, uh, what else have you been watching? Well, so I decided, I don't know if you guys know this, but I've lost a couple of jobs in the last couple of months. Found myself a little extra time on my hands. And I decided, finally, yes, I was going to force myself <laughs> to like The Expanse. I mean, that's not what you're supposed to do. This is my okay. third attempt at watching The Expanse. Okay. And I am just so angry when I see <laughs> tweets of people like, The Expanse is the greatest sci-fi series of all time. Uh, oh my God, The Expanse is the greatest thing ever. Uh, <laughs> you know, Jeff Bezos like literally paid to have more episodes of it because it's just so great. And I, and I always felt, I had a little FOMO. I had a little, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I, I felt like I was outside looking yeah. in. Great, great impression of our listeners, by the way, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, I've seen, no, no, I've, I've, no. seen... People, people about the I've seen the Expanse. People tweeting about the Expanse saying we should The Expanse tweets are getting insane. But yes. yeah, and they keep uh, push, pressuring Jeff. Poor Jeff. People love the Expanse. And I, dude, I harbor no ill will to that. I wanted to feel that love. I felt like I was missing out. And I literally have tried three times to watch The Expanse, and I never got past episode three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, I was just like, why do it? This is, uh, this is a slog. I do not, I don't. And then it's I finally, a, yeah. yeah, a friend of mine was the, the breaking point. It was just a weird random friend on Twitter who was like, oh my God, The Expanse is the greatest thing ever. And I reached out and I was like, <laughs> okay, tell me how many of these I need to watch to feel that way. Like, what what do I need to do? And I got a response from him and I got a response from a bunch of other people who are like, season two, episode two. Yeah, you, you have to, to get through season, season one. 
Yeah. And they were saying, you know, the the climax of the first book, the James A. Corey book series, the climax of the first book doesn't happen at the end of season one. It happens at the beginning of season two. So it's a weirdly paced series. You think, you know, like Game of Thrones, where they try to make each you know, each season uh, a book, basically. Uh, so it crescendos at the end of that season. That's not what they did, at least with the first book. Um, so people are like, you have to get through uh, episode two of season two. So I was like, okay, come hell or high water, I am going to, I'm going to force myself to keep watching The Expanse until at least that point. Good on you. And I, yeah. and I got to say, it worked. It's a, it's a good episode. It worked. It really, yeah. it really gets good. Here's the thing about The Expanse that I, that I will say, and I, and I will try not to uh, spoil anything. Um, but much like Game of Thrones, I mean, people compare it to Game of Thrones because there's a lot of different characters doing a lot of different things in a lot of different areas and they all interact and it's, it's potentially very confusing. I read all of the Song of Ice and Fire books well before the series ever, you know, started. And so maybe I was, you know, I had an advantage in that sense that I was never, um, it never felt particularly overwhelmed or lost in, in that series, but I also kind of feel like even if I hadn't read the books, I probably wouldn't have felt lost or overwhelmed because the the first season of Game of Thrones is built yeah. around this mystery, right? It's, it's very like, straightforward. Who, yeah. Yeah. Who killed Robert Baratheon? Let's figure it out. And then everything sort of spreads out from there. You have everybody sort of in the same place at the same time for this event. And then they all scatter to the winds. And then all the other seasons are like all over the map because... All the characters that we met in that first season have now scattered wildly around. The Expanse is the opposite of that. It is a mystery. It starts with a mystery, but it is every character wildly sp spread out. You have no idea how any of them interact with any of the other ones or what these wildly disparate pieces of this puzzle how they have anything to do with anything. It's like, it a, feels, it's like a badly run uh, RPG campaign at times. Doesn't it feel like that? Like yes. You're just it, it not in a, the same place. Yeah. It's like, I don't, why do I care about any of these people? Like what is happening? I don't. And I, you know, I love, I love complex narratives. I love the, the puzzle pieces and the chess pieces all set up and then moved into place. I, I like that thing normally, but man, the first season of the expanse just felt like, I don't even know what is important and what's not important. Like there's so many political things that feel like, is this even pertinent to the idea that we're talking about? It just, it was all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it's the, it's the inverse of game of Thrones. Like all the people that are important to the story start super far apart yeah. and are doing all the things all at once. Yeah. Yes. And are doing wildly different things and you cut between them and you're like, these storylines have nothing to do with each other. I don't even know, like they're not on the same planets. You know, it's, it's, it's just so muddled in my opinion, but at the end of season one, they all converge and all of a sudden you go, Oh, okay. And then it really kind of kicks into high gear and it's, it's, Super fun. And now I'm now I'm in. I'm into the expanse. My congrats. Yes, my my experiment worked. And everybody, I have to thank everybody who said episode two of season two. And so if you are like me, if you maybe tried the expanse or didn't try the expanse or kind of looked on the outside looking in on the expanse and kind of wanted to get into it, 
this is my advice. Mm-hmm. Season two, episode two. And I almost it's feel like a good. lot of the season one stuff is unnecessary, but don't skip it. Like you, you, you can't you really can't. skip it. This is like very much Here. the peak TV show where you ca- you kind of just have to power through that first season. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break. I want to hear some more Expanse thoughts from Devendra uh, after a quick word from our sponsors. All right, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Manscaped. Oh, fellas, it's time. It's time to clean things up in your down low area. I'm going to be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? I'm going to be honest with you. Here's my honest story. There was a time, the first time, I attempted to uh, do a little maintenance in my down low area, all around the pants region, uh, underneath my balls it was not pretty i didn't have the right tools i attempted to clean things up what was the result a horror show down low you don't want that manscaped is here to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer is the best hygiene tool for the modern man that means you man Because of their ceramic blade and advanced skin safe TM technology, any snags on your down low area will be reduced. The trimmer is also waterproof, so you can trim in the shower or the jacuzzi if you're a savage. (laughs) The Manscaped Performance Package is the best buy of 2021. The Performance Package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag. Have you ever noticed how nasty nose and ear hair is? It's thick. It's bushy. You don't want it. In fact, that 79% of partners polled admitted that the long nose hair is a major turnoff. You don't want it. You don't need it. You got to get rid of it. You might as well use the best tools to do the job. The bundle also comes with the Crop Preserver TM Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver TM Ball Toner. The Crop Preserver TM is anti-chafing ball deodorant that will make your balls smell nice and make you feel like your testes are walking on air. The Crop Reviver TM is spray-on toner for your balls. That's right. It's made with soothing aloe and witch hazel extracts that make your balls look up to you and say, thanks, pal. Give it a try with 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com when you use promo code FILMCAST. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and that code FILMCAST. That's manscaped, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com, promo code FILMCAST. All right, so Devinger Hardware, you, you have also coincidentally watched The Expanse this week, is that right? I've been catching up over the past couple of weeks, uh, just you know, clearing out my backlog, basically. I had stopped somewhere in season four. And the thing about The Expanse is if you if you stop keeping up with it for a while, it is easy to just like let it go because there are so many plot threads and so many things and other shows just kind of come in and replace it sometimes for me. So I've been catching up um, and just have to say, like, yeah, season four completely reminded me of why I love this show so much. And I'm glad you're watching it now, Jeff, because uh, this my review basically would have been, again, convincing you to start watching this thing, <laughs> because I do yeah. think it is it is doing some incredible stuff on TV. And I'm somebody I love Battlestar Galactica, the reboot when it you know, when it aired on sci fi. And ever since then, no matter your feelings about how it ended ever since then, I've been 
waiting for like the good space opera, the really good yeah. space stuff to really take a step forward from the way that show looked and what that show covered. And I feel like this is finally it. Um, this show is wild and gives us like a really uh, realistic look at the future, what society would be like if we had humanity spread out between, you know, Earth, Mars, and the asteroid belt and the different cultures that would arise. Um, I, I love the people in the asteroid belt, I believe, just have this like very, very interesting patois that sounds similar to me as like a, something a lot of West Indians uh, have or almost like the stereotypical thing. It does feel weird sometimes to see a lot of actors uh, coming with that dialogue, but I think it's it's a really interesting thing. Um, I, 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 I yeah. thought about that, Davinci. I was like, how do they cast this? Like Jared you have to Harris. Come in and- Jared Harris in the show, man. It's crazy. Yeah, but how do you, like, Mm -hmm, in the casting mm -hmm. process, they go, okay, you got to play a character that has a very specific accent that isn't from anywhere in the world. That doesn't exist. It's a fake accent, but you have to do it consistently with the other people who have done it before on this show. And most of them sound pretty good, like, when they have that accent. It can, it almost feels like an affectation at times, but it also is, the show really does present the idea of, like, what humanity would kind of turn into if we were spread out yeah. like this and the the idea is basically factions like factions of people and a lot of people being jealous of earth and mars being this weird little military fiefdom um it all really works but i think this is one of those shows where you can really tell it is all from a book series and that first season they just didn't know how to edit things down or really focus and it really does get there in season two and refines more and more with the uh the coming seasons uh so yeah i just started season five it feels even stronger and feels like they know where they're going love all the actors um i'm not sure if you've met bobby draper yet in the show jeff but she is at this point one of my favorite characters in science fiction ever because she is just tremendous and also played by an incredible actor um so like it's just really cool stuff like that um the show has big ideas about you know what would it be like if humanity made contact with some you know uh, extraterrestrial life form? Uh, I will not spoil about how you know where things. Yeah, that is the thing. That is what the first season is kind of based on. Um, well, you don't like know that main, until the, the fucking second thrust. season, dude. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, if you, that's if the you reveal wait. of the second season. <laughs> <laughs> if you've waited at this point, I'm gonna I'm giving people some you know something to actually watch this thing because yeah, that should have been the first season. That actually yeah. should have been. I think that would have pushed a lot of sci-fi fans in there. But the show gets wilder and weirder, and I will not say anymore. But I'm glad I kept up. And uh, it is all where's the expanse now? It's all on Amazon Prime because yeah. Amazon is making the new episode. So yeah. check it out. It is worth watching. Also looks really good. Like the money is on the screen in that show. You know, all the CG is top notch. The sets are really well done. It really feels like it doesn't feel like a set. It feels like Mm -hmm. a a, a Mm -hmm. place that they're visiting. And it's impressive to do that on a TV budget. That's The Expanse. uh, Seasons one through five available right now on Prime Video. All right, Devendra, what else have you been watching? Just quickly, I like to shout out the anime I'm watching uh, sometimes, and I've been checking out Keep Your Hands Off, Ezo Ken. This is a show that's been super popular, I believe, over the last year. It's on HBO Max right now. It is about a group of high school girls who love anime themselves. It's anime about people who love anime, and uh, they form a high school club to to make anime. So it's a very it's a very like meta show and a very self referential show, but it's also very 
you know, sweet thing about a group of people who are obsessed with this art form and want to create it and share why they love it with other people. It reminds me of things I used to do in high school, in college. I used to, you know, run our anime club and that was a lot of fun at the time. Um, so yeah, really digging this. It is a fun show with great characters. It's really funny, has a great animation as well. And, um, it's worth pointing out. I believe the anime series is, uh, yeah, it's directed by Masaki Yuasa, who's done a ton of great stuff. Um, he, that latest devil man cry baby on Netflix he did. Um, he was also involved with like shows like ping pong, the animation and Tatami galaxy. I love them all. So if you like interesting anime with unique, art styles check this out all right that's keep your hands off isaac and how did you watch this uh, it's on show? hbo max got it yeah they have a lot of uh, anime stuff they do uh, yeah ghibli uh, studio ghibli movies and stuff like that so mm-hmm. uh all right and what else have you been watching Devendra? final thing um guys we're talking about all these fake things we're talking about the expanse <laughs> we're talking fucking, about all these fucking fake things fake space <laughs> fucking like what, what what is even this uh this week NASA landed a rover on Mars, and yeah. this morning we got video footage of that landing. And I, j- I just have to tell everybody right now, listening, if you have not seen this footage, go go watch it on the biggest screen you can. And Made me cry. Seriously. It is beautiful. It's absolutely it's beautiful. It is a really sh- it's like three minutes long the actual landing sequence, but it is it shows the rover kind of going through basically right after it cuts through Mars atmosphere. You see the heat shield fall off, which looks almost exactly like that shot that is repeated so many times of like, um, yeah, also heat shields uh, blowing away or the, was it the thruster rocket that is often falling away from uh, space shots uh, in space movies. Um, Looks fantastic. It is crazy that we're getting footage like this at this point. We're getting a ton of photos. There's going to be more footage coming, you know, as long as that rover is working. Um, It's a beautiful thing. So if you like science fiction, if you like our expanse talk, pay attention to what's happening in the real world. It's incredible. All right, that's uh, the Mars Perseverance landing. And yeah, it's amazing. Science fiction has become reality. Incredible. Uh, amazing what the human race can do when it puts its mind to it. Mm. All right, yeah. folks. Uh, let's do uh, some quick uh, weekly plugs. Mm-hmm. This is weird. I want them to be super excited. Rods, reels, and romance. So good. We are texting each other furiously. I love that you did that. Unsolicited. Let me tell you. Take it away. It takes a lot to get us to furiously text. So good. Unsolicited. All over the place. So good. So good. Let the internet have its way. Plugs. 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 But we'll cut. We might cut it down. <laughs> the best part. That's uh, Thomas Medina's remix of the Weekly Plugs music that was originally created by Noah Ross. Uh, the Weekly Plugs are part of the show each week where we plug something that we've created, we've been in, or that someone else has been in that we are a fan of. Uh, this week, I did a video review of I Care A Lot and the, the Netflix movie that I talked about earlier today. And let me just tell you guys, like, I, I don't, you know, Divindra, you make YouTube videos pretty regularly mm-hmm. uh, at this point. And Jeff, you have certainly had your uh, experience with YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing about YouTube that I think is really interesting is, for me, the experience is very much like dropping a like message in a bottle into like a flowing stream. And like, I have no idea how far it's going to be carried, right? Like sometimes it'll go like 10 feet and sometimes it'll go like a mile. You know, and I could tell pretty quickly that this YouTube video 
was going to be popular because of how like quickly the views were accumulating on it. Because apparently a lot of people are also really angry about this movie. Basically, <laughs> I'm getting like listen. If you tap into pump. anger, that is a great way to <laughs> rack up YouTube views. For yeah. Sure. Sadly, it's actually kind of depressing because I, I, because uh, the thing is, I don't like. It's not an affectation for me. Like, I don't say like this movie made me angry unless it literally made me angry, which <laughs> happens like once a you know once or twice a year. Maybe a movie makes me angry, so it's not like not like it happens every week. And uh, but this one legitimately made me angry, so I I uh, made a video about it, and um, it's gotten like hundreds of comments of people saying like. I literally just watched the movie and came on here to talk about how, like, to see if anyone else was also angry about the movie. And I'm glad to find this video. So, um, if you watched I Care a lot and are angry about it, check out my video review. But yeah, um, just it's just interesting to to see what gets picked up by the algorithm these days, what doesn't. Devinder Hardwar, what is a weekly plug you have for our listeners today? Oh, yeah. Last week, I got to chat with Alex Kranz, a colleague of mine, uh, formerly at the blog Gizmodo. She is from Texas. So I talked to her about the Texas power grid and why it completely failed last week and, you know, what happened there. thought we had a really good chat about not just Texas, but the state of infrastructure in America as a whole. So, yeah, check it out at the Engadget podcast and um, maybe you'll learn something about why our country can't keep power running properly. It's uh, terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's been really upsetting to read yeah. all the news coming out of Texas. Um, Devinder, I, like I, I think you, it really hits you on an emotional level, from my sense, like uh, in our in our group text about it. It right? is, it is absolutely ridiculous because uh, we go into this in the show, but the Texas. You know, their power market is completely unregulated. It is a grid. We talked a little about this last week, too. It is a grid completely disconnected from the rest of the country. But that free market sensibility has absolutely failed the entire state. And now we're seeing people getting stuck with huge bills. That's something they're they're going to it seems like the state is just trying to stop. But none of this should be happening I, I hope it's a warning sign to the rest of the country because it's not just Texas and it's not just the wildfires in California. You know, like every part of this country is facing some sort of infrastructure danger from climate change. So, yeah, I hope it's a wake up call. That's all. I've been really discouraged at how not a wake up call a lot of things have happened are. Yeah, you know, I think I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, for, first of all, let me start by saying like. I, I have a lot of friends who live in Texas and I've like been reaching out to them this week. Mm -hmm. And I hope if you are in Texas, like you're doing okay. Um, I know a lot of people have gone through a lot this past week and they're struggling with either uh, sky high electric bills or no water or, uh, you know, damage to their, like their homes. Or having and, to come back from Cancun early. Yeah, mm. indeed. Um, There's a lot of different kinds of problems. People <laughs> that was a great with. night on Twitter. I'll be honest. So yeah. pure. So pure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, like primarily, I just want to say, like, if, if you are living there, like we are hoping that you're doing OK, our thoughts are with you. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm also, you know, Devinder, you were like angry about it, I think. And, and like uh, that the, the state has failed all these people in Texas. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm just deeply saddened uh, because it just feels like the last 12 months has been a nonstop continuous time period of uh, revealing all the weaknesses in American infrastructure and society, basically like yeah, all yeah. of America's weaknesses laid bare, uh, you know, in terms of uh, racial justice, in terms of public health, 
and now in terms of our ability to deal with weird weather and climate change. And the logical reaction, in my opinion, to these things is, oh my God, like things are horribly broken. Like horribly yeah. broken. We must come together and fix these things now if we want to survive as a species. And that's just not what's happening, you know? And it's just... It's so discouraging. It's so saddening. I know there is hope. There is hope in the, that that can be found in like the people that are doing good things, that are helping neighbors and uh, and bailing their their friends out and and so on. But uh, it, it I just you know on a on a deep level, I wish uh, we all had more faith in something like our ability to govern ourselves and like the the power of government to be able to solve these problems. But that faith is not shared by everyone and um and it's really sad so mm -hmm. uh that's been my reaction you know yep. and i think we're all processing the news in different ways and um i and i don't at all mean to downplay anything that people are actually going through who live there um but that's kind of been my reaction watching it all I, play out yeah my my my, tr my thing is i hope this is a wake-up call to a lot of people in terms of who they vote for and things like that right like ted cruz did not win texas by a wide margin it was very, it was very close. So, yeah. you know, hopefully this will shift things, but this has been an ongoing problem in this country. Uh, Puerto Rico, which is part of the United States, still does not have full power, you know, and it seems like we've just completely forgotten about taking care of that territory. So I, I want more demanding more. Um, hopefully if you feel strongly, please donate. Uh, there are a lot of great resources uh, for you to do that. And uh, yeah, talk to your representatives. Like there are things you can speak up for and vote for locally too that'll affect some sort of change. Jeff Kanata, share a weekly plug with us, won't you? Equally important. <laughs> <We're right back. laughs> uh, um, we stopped doing the dungeon run, uh, caffeine uh, let us go. And uh, we're working to bring the dungeon run back. In the meantime, the cast of the Dungeon Run and I are playing a different kind of tabletop role-playing game called Fiasco. This is basically create a movie, improvise the creation of a movie in real time. And we did it once before. It was such a blast. We did a we did a, a noir, um, you know, murder mystery type, uh, you know, classic detective story hard-boiled noir detective story a few weeks ago it was incredible like all of the story beats added up and it, it, it was it was really fun really fun so we're doing it again and it is happening uh on wednesday you may have already uh you may be listening to this we may have already happened but wednesday the 24th at 6 p.m pacific time on uh the hello goodberry channel on twitch that is hello goodberry uh, twitch.tv slash Hello, Goodberry. Um, and uh, if you hear this after February 24th, you'll still be able to watch the archived version of it. Uh, we are doing a module for Fiasco called Camp Death, which is basically a, an 80s teen slasher movie uh, template. So we're going to create a like a real like slasher movie in real time. I'm sure it'll be funny. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. So check it out over at uh, Hello, Goodberry. All right, those are our weekly plugs this week. It's time to talk about our sponsor, HelloFresh. I'm just going to say it. I love HelloFresh. I made HelloFresh tonight. I make it three nights a week, and it makes my life better. What is it? 
Well, HelloFresh gives you fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes that are delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets me skip trips to the grocery store. I don't want to go to the grocery store. It makes home cooking easy and fun, and I like it, I enjoy it, and it's affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. I love HelloFresh. Hey, I don't want to have to plan what's for dinner, but I do like providing dinner for my family, and I have fallen in love with cooking. Why? Because the pre-measured ingredients means I only get exactly what I need for that meal. I don't have extra ingredients rotting in the fridge. And I have so much more variety in the menu that I feed to my family. We have over 23 recipes every week to choose from. It's so much fun to hop on that HelloFresh app and pick out a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients. I never get bored. There's always something new and exciting. I eat healthier because they have low-carb, carb-smart, vegetarian, pescatarian options every week for me. And no matter what I choose, every single recipe is packed with fresh produce sourced directly from farmers. I can save up to 40% from grocery bills. And I always have the flexibility to change my delivery day, my food preference, or even skip a week whenever I need. It's great. I love cooking. I love preparing this food for my family. I've been making, what did I have last night? Apricot chicken with, uh, I think, with broccoli and rice. It was so good. It was so good. A, a couple of nights before that, we had a pork dish that, seriously, my wife was like, this is restaurant quality. I'm telling you, I made it. I got that satisfaction all because of HelloFresh. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Filmcast10. Join me. Use that promo code, Filmcast10. You'll get 10 free meals, including free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Filmcast10. Filmcast10. That's the promo code you use. F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-1-0. Get you 10 free meals, including free shipping. You're going to love it. We're about to get to our review of Nomadland. Before we do, I do just want to mention uh, we recorded the Nomadland review before we recorded the first part of the show. And actually, uh, I think it's safe to say two things. Number one, we kind of spoil Nomadland like at some point before we get to the spoiler member. So like <laughs> if you are really cautious about spoilers for Nomadland, like maybe don't listen to the review or listen to it after you've uh, watched the movie. But number two, it's basically impossible to spoil Nomadland in my opinion. Like it's not very much happens. I don't think it's a plot driven film. So those are my thoughts. The caveat before you head into this review, uh, there are spoilers, but also it's hard to spoil this movie. Uh, so be cautious in any case. Here is our review of Nomadland. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom said that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. That was from the trailer for Nomadland, the new film by director Chloe Zhao. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. 
After losing everything in the Great Recession, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Joining us today on the Slash Filmcast for our review of Nomadland, she is a freelance critic whose work has appeared at Pajiba.com, Crooked Marquee, Vulture, and AV Club. Roxana Haddadi, welcome back to the Slash Filmcast. Roxana, how goes it tonight? It goes. It goes, guys. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> it goes. Perhaps the defining statement of our era. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Curious what you thought of Nomadland, which obviously has a lot of critical acclaim, has been nominated for many awards, and looks like it might might be on track to win Best Picture, but we'll see. Uh, certainly, certainly in contention for Best Director. Roxana, what did you think of Nomadland? I really loved Nomadland as a tone poem about the failures of America and the American promise and the American dream. I think that Chloe Zhao has done a really good job exploring that theme in all of her work, especially in this movie and in Mm -hmm. The Rider. And so for me, it really resonated with this idea of what do we expect our lives to be and how do you go from being someone who is stationary and comfortable to sort of hitting the road and joining this other culture and community. So I found it very evocative and beautiful and depressing and all the things (laughs) that I want movies to be. Um, But it's interesting now that the movie is finally out. I feel like we've been talking about it for a year Nobody was actually able to see it. But now that it's out, I feel like there's been sort of this interesting oppositional take that argues that it's romanticizing American failures. And so it's been really interesting to see that sort of like backlash play out. That's uh, that's quite a take. I think yeah. you're yeah. specifically referring to like uh, Richard Brody's review of The New Yorker, yeah? Yes, uh, there was also some stuff I saw on different corners of film Twitter that argued that the movie comes from an angle of white privilege and that you couldn't make this movie or it wouldn't be the same movie to consider this experience from a non-white perspective. So it's been interesting to see those sort of two different takes on what this movie is doing sort of play out. Yeah, I completely agree with that latter point, by the way. But Devendra, let's go to you first. What did you think of Nomadland? Oh, yeah, I, I thought it was astounding. And I think putting it, you know, this is a movie about the failure of America, as Roxana said, and that that's pretty much it. The, this is what the movie is hammering home. And I think Chloe Zhao tells her stories in such like a naturalistic and realistic ways. At times, this movie feels like a documentary and it feels like, you know, the the line between a fictional narrative and a documentary and just something that's true to life. Uh, really blurs in this film. Um, I absolutely loved it. And just the way it explores kind of quietly, you know, uh, Amazon is featured in this movie, right? And at one point, Francis McDormand's character goes and works in an Amazon shipping facility. And it's not like, it's not like a bold statement about like, man, look at how evil this is, right? It's more like she walks into this building that has a sign that is so large. It's like a spaceship looming above her And it's just like, it's her only option, right? In a country where there are fewer and fewer options, one of the things she can do is, you know, pack things into boxes and deal with that work. It doesn't really comment on that, but I do think framing, even just that, like putting, like people who are really struggling right now, all they can do is work for Amazon or do things like Uber or whatnot. Um, I think that really frames the problems of society in here because 
she, you know, her character is somebody who was living comfortably in a company town until that company disappeared and the town literally disappeared. Um, it is astounding that, you know, it makes me think of just how much of our lives we put, uh, we let the companies we work for just take charge. You know, we're a country where our healthcare are very, you know, the, the fact if we can live or die or deal with illnesses is tied directly to our capital value and how much we can work and how good our jobs are. And I think this movie just really hammers a lot of that home. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know about the romanticizing failure angle here. And, you know, I think, Maybe this particular community, it does seem like it's mostly white, but there there are definitely a lot of similar groups. Um, I'm not sure if they were all if they all consider themselves nomads, but people who are just you know trying to make ends meet um, and find themselves the easiest way for them to survive is to have a mobile home and find a community where they could kind of take care of each other in a way. And yeah, that that to me doesn't seem particularly tied to race or anything, but maybe that's something we can explore. Um, I feel like the only thing that rings a little untrue to this movie is what is because it stars Frances McDormand, right? And you know, seeing her step into this community, and I, I've read like during filming, you know, she traveled um, with a lot of nomads or actual nomads featured in the movie. Um, I think you could make the argument that, like, yeah, it's kind of like stepping into this universe and maybe not fully understanding it. But I think the empathy and the artistry and beauty in this film kind of negates that a little. I I do think like it really does give us a good lens, but yeah, if I were to compare this to the writer or something, that is a movie that feels so real and natural because the, the, you know, people featured were basically playing themselves. Uh, This movie doesn't quite have that, but it is astounding on its own level. I'd say. Jefferson Kanata, your thoughts on Nomadland. Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Nomadland are best summed up the form of a limerick. Mm. I don't know if Roxana remembers this, uh, this mm. ritual. That we yeah. I sort of do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not something I would choose. Personally, uh, I don't enjoy it. It's a lot of work. Uh, but our illustrious host, Dave Chen, he has certain ground rules. Well, one ground rule, really. And that is uh, there must be a limerick in every episode or he walks. This is the language that he's used. Mm. And I, I say it in a tone of voice that does not convey the intensity mm. and let's say pure rage with which you're already, he's I mean, You're already pretty intense right now, Jeff. So yeah, no, I know I guess... and I'm saying. It's there's a level above that that you've hit. <laughs> wow. Okay. That, All right. Uh, you know, made I, it very I clear to me. I don't remember it that way, but I trust you completely. Yeah. So no, I'm, I, uh, I, I'm just trying. I'm just saying. All right. Uh, here's the limerick. A performance devoid of vanity that speaks to our cultural sanity. No plot or events. It just presents an exquisite view of humanity. Hmm. Nicely done, Jeffrey. Beautifully. Thank as, you. As, as, as elegant as the film itself. <laughs> I, uh, I agree with uh, everything that Roxana and Devendra have said so far, but I, I'd go a bit further, actually, because while it is about all of those things, uh, the economic realities of America circa, you know, the years this takes place. And now, um, I found myself, you know, here we are in the midst of uh, a global pandemic still. And just last week on this very podcast, I think in our after dark, actually, 
-hmm. we talked about all of the uh, thought processes that we've gone through uh, about potentially uh, me personally and my wife, excuse me, I'm not choking up. I have a throat issue. I I apologize. Um, My wife and I uh, talked about moving and leaving California, trying to maybe live someplace else. I think these ideas of where do I find myself? Where, what mm-hmm. is important are, I think I'm, I'm certainly facing them. My family is certainly facing them in a new way and with a new intensity in the midst of this pandemic. <clears throat> and clearly this movie was made before the pandemic, but I think it, it comes out at a unique time when I receive it with a, uh, a, a feeling that I think is akin to what this character is feeling. Like, yes, the economic realities are what thrust her into this position, but I think we, she finds something in this, in the course of living this lifestyle that she finds desirable. And and she has a couple of options, a, a couple of moments of the option to sort of exit that kind of lifestyle. And she chooses to return to it. And I think the part of the beauty of this movie and part of what makes it so exquisite to my eye is the the notion of of sort of asking those questions of what's important right what what is really human and what do we need and are things important are are people important is the place we live important is connecting with nature in some profound way important is, and and we see her sort of move through these beautiful vignettes you know Roxana used a great phrase, a tone poem, which I think is accurate. And I found it so moving. Like th- this movie doesn't have, uh, you know, a three act structure. It doesn't have a plot to speak of. It doesn't have an antagonist other than life itself and time. But it speaks. I mean, it is about death. It is about l- life. It is about the passage of time. Uh, and it speaks to all of those things. There are profound moments. I was really moved by this movie, not just because of what it had to say about the economic realities of the world, but about just like what it is to be a human being and what do we value and how do we move through this world? Like, what do we, you know, I, I, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have basically not left a, you know, two mile radius in the last year. (laughs) And more specifically, I haven't left my own house except in rare instances uh, for for prolonged periods of time over the last year. And to see a person who is moving through this beautiful countryside and experiencing all these wildly different elements of 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 the American countryside. You know, you you have moments where she's, you know, in the in this kind of desolate desert uh Arizona section. There's there's a beautiful sequence in a in a rainstorm on a coast somewhere where it's the, the seas are violent and turbulent. I mean, all these different, you know, we get into the snow. There's just the, the breadth of the experience of the main character was not lost on me as I sit in my house for the umpteenth day in a row, experiencing the same four walls, you know, and there's something, there's a question that that, requires that that necessitates that that suggests you know about what it is that is important you know and i think this character chooses 
makes a decision at, a, at several moments to make that life important to her. And uh, I, I was very moved by this movie. I think it is, it is definitely worthy of best picture, in my opinion. I, I, I loved it. Well, I'm really glad all of you like the movie. And no, I'm get, I'm ready for this now. <laughs> yeah, I'm so I'm really waiting. <laughs> I don't I don't know I don't know. This, guys, this by the know? way, this is the other thing I I wait for alongside <laughs> Jeff's limericks is Dave's Dave's come down. <laughs> Jeff, it's consistently Jeff is like this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life, followed by Wet Blanket Dave Chen. I I mean here's the thing: there are many things about this movie that are worth praising. And I've also pointed out that Chloe Zhao's uh, The Rider was, it made my top 10 list that year. You know, yeah. it was a brilliant film, film that I recommend to everyone. Uh, but this one just didn't do it for me. And, uh, but let me talk about what I liked about the movie first. You know, I liked, uh, you all have pointed out how amazing the cinematography is. And I echo that. I think it, uh, you know, as somebody who has driven across the country a couple times, I have. Um, there's just so much you you don't really understand how large America is until yeah, you like yeah. drive all the way across it. There's and there's so, so much. much of it that's just beautiful, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, there's so much of it that's just like breathtaking to behold. And you when when you're driving across, particularly like the the West, the Midwest area, like you 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 understand um, a little bit like how settlers must have felt when they first came here and they saw like the promise of. Um, this vast open land and, and how much could be done with it. And that's one of the things that I think this movie really brings out is if you are a nomad, you can see like a lot of America and there is a lot of beauty to be found there. And so, um, so for me, that's what I'm going to primarily remember about this movie, you know, as I, as I come away from it is like, is just it, how well it captures America. I think that the, messages of the movie are a little bit muddled. Um, I think that, uh, Roxana, you alluded to, like, like th this movie seems to, from my interpretation, have a little, a bit of nostalgia for, quote-unquote, the way things were, right? And it kind of opens with this text about, I think it's a gypsum mine, right, in Empire, Nevada. And it's like, oh, like, just society is changing so much and, like, um, wasn't it all like great, like, or at least better in the olden days, right? When there were company and, towns. Yeah. Right. When there were company towns. I don't, and, I don't, yeah. let me just say the movie presents that as a fact. And that is something that existed because we know there, there's Hershey, Pennsylvania, right? There are company towns all over this country, but I, at no point in this movie did that seem like that was the good old days. It was more like that was the day I could actually have a home, you know, and that's it. But not like saying that, I wish that didn't I could seem like a better like that didn't seem like a, a superior option for this person. Like it did, I mean, it, did, it is it's a she, good. She, I'm, I'm not she saying spends, it's like she spends most of the movie being unable to let go of the way things were. Like that is that is it's literally in the text of the film where I think it's she, much it's more, more about her husband. It's more about her husband. Yeah, yeah. it's her husband. I, but I yeah. do I do feel like there is that point though where she mm -hmm. is talking about all the things that her town used to have. Yeah, yeah. And so I do think that yes, a lot of it is like about her husband. But I I mean, but there is the argument which is true and fact 
correct that like these towns existed and once upon a time they did provide all of these amenities but i took that more as like a microcosm for like capitalism at large yes and the idea that like once upon a time these things were possible and like frankly generationally that is true these things were possible once upon a time so like Mm -hmm. i see what you're saying and i agree i don't love the idea of being nostalgic for (laughs) for like the time corporations carved up the american west and like basically (laughs) kept people employed there but i i don't know but again there is complexity here i'm sorry go go yeah go Yeah. Well, Jeff, go ahead. You wanted to. Well, I was just saying one other point I'd add is that, you know, no, no spoilers, but I think one of the things she mentions about what made that house she lived in so special was that it looked out to nothing. Right. And I think the movie suggests that there was always a part of her and certainly her sister explicitly says this. Mm-hmm. There Why'd was you go always the a part. Nowhere? Yeah. Yeah. There was always a part of her that wanted to just be away from everything. And I, I don't think that the movie, I, I don't think the main character of the, of the film feels like, boy, if we all lived in company towns, everything would be great. I think she, she liked the fact that her husband was alive and that she could look out and see this potential. And in the movie, she realizes that potential. She achieves that potential. She goes out and lives the life that she kind of always wanted, I, I think. So I don't think that it, the movie is saying things were better for her before. I think certainly she's in grief, continued grief over her husband's passing. But the, I think the movie's thesis is that she has found a better life for herself, it, despite all of the hardship and uh, difficulty along the way. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a valid interpretation of the events of the film, and uh, I, I wouldn't. I, I guess I would say there's a there's a vague. The way I would describe it is not things were so awesome, and like why can't we go back to the before time? I, I think I would more describe it as there's a vague longing for uh, what came before, as opposed to like it was definitively better, and that is in some ways captured by her relationship with her husband. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. My my big takeaway from this movie is. This idea of wandering as connected to the grief process, right? And that, like, uh, my sense from watching the film is that, like, she she wanders um, because, like, it's her way of processing what happened to her and her loss. And to me, that's a, that's a very powerful idea. Um, so I did I did appreciate that, um, but. The movie is very like the, here. Here is the the extremely brief case against this movie because I don't, I don't want to come out against this movie, guys. Like you know, like this is a <laughs> you don't want to be part of that five percent. Going to be a massive. This is a massive deal that, that Chloe Zhao is going to yeah. potentially win best best director. Like I don't want to be the guy that's coming no, out against Chloe Zhao. You know what I mean? Too late. Uh-huh. No, uh-huh. too late. But, uh, <laughs> I'll just say I'll just say that the movie is very episodic. I've already made this criticism before, and when I talked about this movie in the past, that like I I feel like there is this kind of um, this detachment when I see a story like this. Like to to me, uh, the, the when I am watching this movie, I feel like it, it's almost like a. Like I am clinically observing this character in this situation that like it it is expected that the audience will not be able to like 
intimately relate to. And you're kind of just watching her do these things as opposed to, I feel like the movie is uh, kind of, kind of putting me into her perspective, her subjective perspective and allowing me to experience what she experiences as she experiences it. Like that's, that's my experience of the film and it's possible you, you guys all had a different experience. Right. Sure. But like for me, because of how episodic it was, it's not very plot driven. Right. Um, and it is part documentary part mm-hmm. fictional film, as you guys pointed out. Like, yeah, um, yeah. a lot of the people that are interviewed, Jeff cannot, I remember when uh, we talked about sound of metal, there's a guy mm-hmm. uh, in the movie played by Paul Racy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we thought like, oh, they just found a guy who's like, yeah. okay. they just found a how guy. Could you, who's how, could you, how could an actor play this guy? You have to just find this guy. Yeah. It's impossible. But then we found out that he's actually, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we found out he's amazing. actually very talented. Yeah. He, he's yeah. a very talented actor named Paul Racy. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and in this movie, they, they actually, inter- like Chloe Zhao actually interviewed the people who were featured in the book Nomadland on which this film is based. Uh, and they are telling presumably true stories about their lives in the in the in the film. So much so that when an actor shows up, it's kind of jarring. That's yeah. Like, I think yes, I, yeah. Yes, I agree. And exactly. you guys have both pointed, or Davinder's pointed that out. But well, yeah, let, I, let me just I, say I I've been much. watching a lot of The Expanse lately. Um, you know, as we've discussed, and uh, to see David Strathairn come from his <laughs> like uh, patois space <laughs> accent to being a down and out guy in Nomadland, it, it was it was jarring. It just he, felt yeah, weird. He's, he was um, unrecognized- have you guys took- not rewatched The Firm lately? One of his <laughs> masterpieces? Come on. I have not. I have not. It took me like a good 10 minutes to realize it was David Strathern in the movie. How dare like, you? How dare I was like you? watching Why? the movie. And no, how is that possible? Yeah, yeah, I immediately exactly said good night and good luck right when yeah. he showed up. <laughs> I just said uh, hot. <laughs> you, you thought that weird and you, you were like, yeah. Uh-huh. You mm-hmm. found his buffoonery amusing, huh, Roxana? Um, uh, but uh, a buffoon! How dare you! How dare you! <laughs> yeah. Why would uh, you have a box you? with an open bottom? Why, yeah. dude? That yeah. that, I mean, we're not, now we're into spoilers, but that <laughs> moment took my breath away. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's right. rarely a moment in a movie like major <laughs> characters have been murdered in movies, and it didn't affect me as much as that moment. You know, that was uh, that was I was like, <gasps> no. <laughs> <laughs> Couple of other quick observations, and then we can and get the spoilers. But one one of them is, yeah, I I do think um, so. Devendra, totally understand that like uh, that poverty often hits you know people of color harder than it hits white people. But I do think there's something about the nomad life that's distinctly white. Like 99 percent of the people who are nomads in this movie are white, and that's because. Uh, it's uh, not a super great situation if you're traveling through the Midwest and you're not right. white. Like, I would not want to be sure, a person sure. who's not white traveling across the Midwest by myself. So, sleeping in places uh, you shouldn't be sleeping. Exactly. It's just, yep. it, yeah. you can imagine all the ways that that could go wrong. And so um, I do think that there is, uh, there, you know, there's something distinctly white about at least the specific nomadic lifestyle portrayed in the film. Uh, and then the other thing is just that a, a, a disappointment I had in the film is also that I don't think it does a particularly good job uh, describing the practicalities of a nomadic existence. I mean, you have Francis McDormand shitting in a bucket, you know, but like beyond really that, lay out the, how the shitting in the bucket works too. Like, come on, they give you a tutorial size of buckets, everything. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's like hints at it, but I think that like, you know, the, um, I don't know, There's, man. Uh, uh, sorry, go I think ahead, this Joe. movie is the is the is is the epitome of show not tell. 
Exactly. And, and I, yeah, I love yeah. that it just shows you these little moments over and over, like little, little thing. Like the, there's a moment where she just plays the flute. You know, it's like what a cool detail that I would never, in a million years, come up with to put in this movie. And, and but it, is that it, an important <laughs> detail? Yeah, right. It, it I, I provides guess, like, texture. There's, there's things yeah. of like there's things of like uh, uh, there's a part of the movie when he's like uh, one of the gentlemen in the movie giving a lecture says, "Here's the ten rules of stealth parking." You know, like how to avoid detection in a parking lot, and then they never say what it is. And there's things right. like uh, it doesn't they matter. Visit, they've Okay, I'm pretty sure it matters when you're living out there in well, a van, isn't a, Jeff. This isn't a how-to so, movie about like becoming a nomad. <laughs> no, but I, I but guess... But it sort of saying, is, though, I'm, because we're saying, with yeah. her as she is mm-hmm, learning mm-hmm. how to become a nomad. I mean, it sort I, of is. But I, I don't think I, the point of the... Go ahead, Dave. Sorry. Well, that's. I, I guess that's... I think you and I are in, as my law professor in college used to say, violent agreement with each other, which is to say, I don't think you should watch this movie if you are expecting a sort of realistic depiction of what it is like mm. to be a nomad because most of the details of what that is like are excised and so that's that may be fine like I, and as i said that's not the part of the movie that that most rang true to me um but i think that if that's what you're looking for and by the way it's reasonable to assume that because that's basically what the book that this movie is based on is about uh, then you won't. You will be disappointed in the movie. That that, um, uh, that so. just seems. I I would say a little unfair, right? That that comes to the whole um, wanting the movie to be something else. I guess kind of argument because the, it does go into little things like the, all the nicks and crannies she puts into her like into her caravan. The way you see people yeah. live, like everybody has built out theirs differently. The ways you protect your car to be safe. She had no spare tire. Like it's yeah. It it is not like a manual about how to do this but i think it does give you a lived in sense of like this is this is hard the terrifying thing where you get the knock on the window in the middle of the night because you're parked somewhere where you shouldn't um the reality of at least she can wash her clothes but it's not not apparently very great and then yeah just the idea right just all this movie needs to do is plant the ideas into your head right the idea of people have to you know shit in a bucket that is in the car with them or in the van or whatever they don't need to necessarily show that, and they did, but they like it's that, and it's sort of like okay, things you need to do to be careful about you know stealth parking. That concept, just the awareness, like oh, you can't just park anywhere. Apparently, uh, you have to think a little harder, right? That's something these people have to deal with. I don't. Yeah, to me, it didn't feel like it hurt the movie too much because it is just a lens on on their on how they're surviving, and to me, that part felt true. And that felt a lot like the writer, you know, it is just an observant thing. It's not like getting you into the heads of people directly. Can it I play devil's me... advocate for a second after mm-hmm. Jeff goes? No, 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 please. Yeah. I, no. I was just, just my devil's advocate question is if you liked this movie, how did you feel about like into the wild? Right. Because I think that mm, like, yeah, actually canvas... great, great comparison. Yeah. Actually. Because like I love into the wild and I totally can very much understand McCandless's motivation wanting to tap out of society. But I remember being told that I was an asshole for liking his motivations. <laughs> and so it's very interesting because I feel like Into the Wild had like a very specific cultural backlash against Krakauer focusing on this kid who found society lacking Mm -hmm. and wanting to connect with the natural world. And so I feel like it was interesting how much that felt like 
in opposition to this movie where it seems like a lot of, you know, and I liked this movie, so I'm not trying to say that it's bad or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it does seem like there's a lot of like, oh, this is great. Like she found herself on the road, like, so it's just interesting to see (laughs) very oppositional takes for something that I think is fundamentally similar. So just so I understand, Roxana, you're saying that Into the Wild, people had a backlash because they're like, F this guy, like the, yes, the, the main selfish. character. You yes. say, what, a, what an asshole, that guy. Whereas right. people are saying- If only he'd love... get what's coming to him. <laughs> Whereas people are saying they love this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's not like he gets into the wild, I he guess. any consequences <laughs> for that. Um, right. And then whereas in this movie, people are like, this is a wonderful celebration of like the possibilities inherent in like traveling right. through America and things like that. Yes. What you're, yes. And there's a there's a weird contrast in that. Yeah. Yes. Um, Jeff, uh, any thoughts on that question and or like the topic before we're discussing? Well, not to return to the topic before, but, um, you know, as far as I kind of. I'm reminded of how people talk about jazz, you know, where it's 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 about the notes <laughs> it's that the notes you are don't not played. Play. Yeah. Yes. And I I mean you you mock, but I think I think that's exactly how I appreciated this movie. There's a ton of information that is not given to you, right? Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. are tons of questions I had. We you know, how did she get this job? How did she get that job? Why did she stay when they left? What, you know, all, all there are tons of moments where I'm like but the movie isn't about that, right? It isn't a linear telling of how this woman transitioned into this lifestyle. That's just not the movie at all. It is, it is, as Roxana eloquently said, a a a tone poem. It is the feeling that the movie is trying to convey of that lifestyle. It is, it is a dreamlike in its in in how you know, time and place are sort of you just move in and out of these areas and these moments of her of her existence. And, and it is like that analogy to jazz where a lot of it is what's left out that I found so compelling because it compresses time and it compresses her experience into a a, a more, I think a more ephemeral state that, that landed on me in in a, in a more emotional way than I think like a step-by-step manual of how to go into this life would have. I, I will say it, it almost sounds like you're describing like an elliptical, like a Malick film or something, Jeff. And I, mm-hmm. I did not get that sense at all is the thing. Like, yeah. I love this movie, but it is very much like it is just a glimpse. It is a, you know, it's a camera observing her distantly. And maybe you want something a more internal. Maybe you want a monologue sometimes. Maybe you want to know more of what she's thinking. And I think Frances McDormand does a good job of selling what's going on with this character and her motivations, even when she makes crazy decisions. I'd say like it, it seeing what's going on with this character and how they build her up. And she's essentially somebody who seemed like always kind of uh, always want to do her own thing. And now she kind of has her chance to do something that's very, very different. But one thing we haven't talked about is the idea of community. And that's really where I come down on this movie, where she she has been searching for community after her community was ripped away from her. And the people she finds, you know, the people who are around near her town, um, they seem to offer help, but they also look down on her in a way. And to me, that was the real revelatory aspect of this journey. Like she is finding people who have gone through similar situations as her and can understand her because I, I get the feeling I've, I've talked to folks like this who are older and they feel like 
they made the right decisions in a way, right? They did the things their teachers told them to do and their parents told them to do. They got a nice job or they married, you know, well or something. And then it just kind of falls apart. And what do you do? And it's a, you know, it's a deconstruction of the American dream in a way where unless it happens to you, it's hard to really understand. A lot of people think she's just homeless and she describes herself as houseless. And I think that's, that's essentially it. You know, a lot of people can't, see you as successful or somebody who is doing well if you don't have a home and she finds these folks who have gone through hardship and have gone through their own things but also have come to this realization too that's why she can't stay with the the nicer folks she comes across nice houses all the time but it's not her community you know i I just want to question Oh, sorry, Dave, did you want to respond to that? Well, just, first of all, I I wasn't trying to mock you, Jeff. That's just one of my favorite things to say during a movie review is it's about the blank that the movie doesn't blank. So I just like (laughs) saying that. It sounded like I was coming off mocking, but I wasn't trying to mock you It is literally the Simpsons joke about jazz, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I, I love that phrase. So um, I I apologize if it came across mocking. Um, Also, like, I I wasn't even necessarily... uh, bringing that up as a negative i just i just want people to understand what the movie's about but i you know i I wasn't bringing up like hey the movie is not a how-to or whatever but i think that like um i I will just say that as somebody who uh like reads on this topic like i i was a little surprised at how much of a tone poem it was versus like even a sort of dispassionate telling of some of these details of what it's like to live in this um uh, in the, this lifestyle. So anyway, Jeff, go ahead. And then I'd love to get the spoilers. I just wanted to ask the question if, if any of you in watching it f- were scared, right? Were, were, were you, did you feel a yeah. menace? I, I, I kept Jeff, saying to my is, wife, this is, this is exactly what we're saying, by the way, like we are watching this movie a week after the shitstorm happened in Texas, right? Where this country fundamentally failed to protect its citizens, to protect its infrastructure. Um, you know, the federal government is trying to help now, but that that state government did fuck all to protect Texans and they're paying for it. And it's terrifying to see it all kind of fall apart. But what are you specifically referring to, Jeff? Well, I meant even on a, a just a more uh, uh, intimate level, I, I just kept saying, if you know, if this <laughs> this movie, if where we're going is this is this woman is. <laughs> attacked in some way or something i, I i'm gonna be I, i'm not gonna be able to handle it's scary. it yeah there, there's yeah. some scary bits yeah but i think that one of the things i loved most about the movie is this notion that i that i want to believe is still true about america which is that people are good you know groups of people usually bad but people individually <laughs> are decent smaller, to each smaller other communities uh, yeah I, I, and uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Anyway, I don't know if that's just America. I feel like that's that's the thing I try to believe in people in general. But I do think, well, yes, you look at the things that get in the way, right? You look at the things that kind of make that difficult. And to me, it's the looming specter of capitalism and how much has failed America in this movie. Like that is the thing that is kind of hurting any sense of community and looking at the last year, like, God damn. Yes. The fact that we still have a very vocal contingent of people who whine about wearing a piece of cloth over their face, even though it can help stop a goddamn you know pandemic. Um, it really does make me wonder about the, our sense of a community as a country. Yeah. I, I wasn't afraid. And I think it was because of the racial element, which I mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. is not necessarily what 
this conversation is going to be dominated by and that's fine. But just personally for me, because it was Francis McDormand and because clearly the vibe movie is like, no, Mm -hmm. people are good. Like you can find a helping hand. Like as Devinder said, like it does very much trace how she gets these jobs. It's through a lot of connections from other people who have like run this circuit before. Like she certainly has a lot of people helping her, but I almost, maybe I don't want to put words in Dave's mouth, but I almost felt a little bit of distance because quote unquote, nothing bad happens to her. And so Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's fair, but I can understand watching this movie and thinking like, okay, so there was no real hardship aside from her van breaking down one time. Like I can understand applying a somewhat critical, skeptical lens to that. And I feel like you almost see it because I don't know if any of you saw this, but there was a tweet going around of like a, for your consideration package for this movie that went out. Oh my God. And it was like a bounty of fresh produce. So so let's let's explain what this is, Roxana, for those who might not be aware of it. Basically, um, Award season is uh, very political and and is often um, millions and millions of dollars go into, let's just say, convincing voters that uh, a certain film should be voted for best picture. And often uh, what that comes in the form of are, you know, they send you like the screeners um, in order to so you can watch the movie and vote on it in time versus needing to go to theater. But sometimes they also send you like little tchotchkes. I actually got some Nomadland stuff as well. As did I didn't I. get the I didn't get the cornucopia of, you know, goodness. fresh produce. Yeah, right. fresh produce. Like it's in like they sent some people like a meal kit. You can kind of tell. How high up someone is, on, oh, you know, the tiers in the, are very the tiers on the on yeah. the ranking of yes. film critic by how good yes. the package they receive is. To and be perfectly I got honest, a, I got yeah. a two XL t shirt. I got a t shirt, right? I got yes. a t shirt, and I got a yes. uh, uh, a uh, what is it? Vanity license plate that said No Man's Land on it. Yep. Yeah, okay. You can do a lot yes. with the t shirt, you know? Yeah. But yes, yes. It's it's a uh, but yes. Uh, somebody got a huge basket of uh, of food. And it's a uh, it's a weird bonus package to send in a movie that is theoretically supposed to be about things there was like Nomadland branded wine in that package. It's just <laughs> right. like so, so much, so, so much cringe. Yeah, yes. but so Yikes. but see, I feel like that is fundamentally maybe uh-huh. the muddled messaging that Dave was alluding to. Because mm. if you watch this movie and all you think is, oh man, like hitting the route is beautiful. It seems easy. All I need is like, you know, to get a van. Then like, I do think you could watch this movie and also think like, oh, all this fresh produce is nice. <laughs> but like, <laughs> do, do, you, do you really think anybody... America. Yeah. Do you yes. really think anybody would come away from this movie thinking, boy, that seemed easy? <laughs> Jeff, Jeff uh, I Yeah, a little uh, bit I do. Really? Yeah, oh, I really do. Jeff, Jeff, let me let me give you a pro tip on this podcast. Um, anytime you want to ask the question, do you really think the answer is a hundred percent of the time? Always yes. Always yes. Because you've asked that question many times, and I've always had to chime in. Yes, Jeff. Otherwise, just, I wouldn't have I'll said just, the thing I'll just I just stay said. over here and shut the fuck up. <laughs> well, no, I'm I just not saying like, shut the fuck up. I'm saying I'm saying the answer is always yes. That's all I'm saying. Right. Yeah. This isn't like this wasn't like a Darden movie, right? I mean, it doesn't end with a fundamental neorealist tragedy. It ends with, yeah, like she finds herself and she hits the road again. But like, I do think people could watch this and think like, all you need to do is remove the physical, remove all of your stuff from your life and go full mm-hmm. Tyler Durden and like, things will be okay. 
Yeah, and this I think is, uh, you know Marie Kondo. This is the most Marie right. Kondo movie ever made. Um, I yeah, I could totally see how people come away with that uh, impression. One thing I want to say, like we were talking about, like how nothing truly bad happens to her in this movie. I suppose that's true, right? That that is true given the events of the movie. But also, this to me felt like a film that is taking place after almost everything bad has happened. Could have already mm. happened. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think that's a great point to enjoy. Um. All right. I mean, I think we've already gotten into spoilers, so maybe I'll just put the warning at the top of the show. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's safe to say we're already in full spoilers um, for the movie. And Roxana, you alluded to the ending of the movie. Um, and the ending of the movie is she goes back home and then like decides like she it's kind of her letting go of uh, her husband. Right. And then like hitting the road again is kind of what happens at the very end of the film. Um, let me ask you guys this question because I think we disagree about every single one of my points that I've brought up so far. And I'm like, Hey, let's, let's <laughs> do really that record. well this week, Dave. Let's yeah. keep that record going. You know, I want to, I want to see how many more points we can disagree on is, um, I want to ask you guys about the fact that what, one of my issues with the movie is I don't think we really have access to her grief until the the final scene that she has with that guy, that gentleman on the side of the road. And they really kind of have a heart to heart. And she kind of explains what it is that is driving her this whole film. And that kind of encapsulates my whole problem with the film is that like, I don't really feel like I have access to this person's inner life for most of the film. I, I um, know. Yep. Go, go ahead. Ha- yep. Have at no, it. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, all I can say is I don't know. Cause I think of, I can think of so many movies that work this way too, um, where you can't really, the distance is the point in a way. This is supposed to be kind of a, a far off look at this particular life. And I do think from the beginning of the film, you get a sense of like, she has lost a lot. You know, she is, she's living in this van that seems like just crammed in so many ways. Uh, She takes a moment to smell her husband's clothes. There are little points all throughout and, yeah, I don't think that the movie doesn't fundamentally sketch out the grief, right? It's not like, my name is Fern. I lost my house. I am sad about my husband. Begin movie, you know? <laughs> and that's exactly what I was asking for. Jeff, I know. Out, uh, curious, uh, curious what your thoughts are on, on that, uh, this point. No, I agree with Devendra. I, uh, <laughs> I, I would have brought up the um, smelling of the clothes is literally yeah. the first thing we see her do in the entire movie. And you I don't know what should have that... happened, though. It should have it should just like froze. Right. Frame freeze. <laughs> how did I get to this situation? Yeah. You might be asking yourself, how did no, I there's Fern a, get there's into a name this tag on the jacket and it says <laughs> Mr. Fern. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I think you guys are doing a great job eviscerating my point. Um, But I'll just say that I think I wouldn't even be bringing it up if I felt like I had gotten like better access to, you know, what she's going through during the the rest of the film. And I I think, you know, the the point that it's a show film and not tell is a good one, but I just didn't even feel like it was showing that much. Do do you think if you had seen this in the theater and you were trapped? in an indie theater and had to like, you know, see this movie. Uh, yeah. My dream right now, that's all aware I want to be right yes, now. Yes. But I do think like, this is one of those movies where if you, if it's just pure focus of being in a theater, not having your phone, not being able to talk to anybody and just like enveloping yourself in this film, maybe it would have hit differently. I don't know. 
Um, well, I already brought up like how much I appreciated the aesthetics of the film, you know, like, and I think that that definitely was not lost on me. So but it's, um, it's the connection because it, it just sounds like you fundamentally didn't connect with it, which is, yeah, it's fine. That happens sometimes. It's totally it's fine. fine. It's fine. <laughs> which is also <laughs> how Dave reviewed Ted Lasso. It's fine. So now you know oh. how it feels, David Chad. Yeah, it's I'm not fine. even interested in watching that, so I wouldn't even say it's fine. Oh, Roxana, <laughs> have I got a show for you? Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I'm really fine. Yeah, yeah. Um. Hmm. So yeah, I, uh, Roxana, I'm in agreement with you about kind of the way it presents the the nomadic lifestyle, which is like a little bit. I I, I think that. Hey, there's there's a lot of things. I, I think you guys bring up Davindra, particularly the litany of things you brought up. That was pretty good, you know, about like the components of the nomadic lifestyle it shows. But there's also like a lot of things it doesn't show, in my opinion, that I think uh, do give kind of this gloss to this lifestyle in in some ways. Um, and uh, like one of them is like I think at one point um, they're like in the hospital, and I'm like what yes. what's what's the deal with that like what what's the consequences of that you know like yeah um i i was in the hospital recently and i like i i don't live a nomadic lifestyle and i was terrified of what's i am shocked that the movie didn't just be like i am terrified of what this bill is gonna look like or something you know right yeah so I, I, i'm thinking of the numerous things that i w- witnessed this character do and just <laughs> shocked that anybody would think that you could come away from this going boy that seems easy there, like there's nothing glossy about this movie. Yeah. Literally shoveling rocks in the middle of the night, shitting in a bucket, uh, wiping shit to... off of a toilet seat. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah. I almost vomited by watching the the, the <laughs> oh, vomit yeah. being wiped you... off the toilet seat. Like, isn't that just that being working? Isn't that yeah. just being working class in America? It's true. It's true. But uh, which I've is had not bathroom easy. Duty. I've had bathroom and, duty no, no, no. to deal with. And it's you know? not, it's not right, great. and it's not easy. I'm not saying that those yeah. jobs yeah. are I wouldn't easy, say it's easy. Yeah. but I'm saying we see her in the situations without seeing how she got to them. Yeah. You don't see her having to like interview for these jobs or like making those connections or presents herself. Like you see her as the woman who is spouting Shakespeare sonnets and then getting jobs through her friends. I mean, like no, 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 no. I, you, we we literally have a scene where she goes in and the and the woman says. I have nothing for you. There's not, there's not, there's no work. There's right. no, what skills do you have? You, what have right. you done with your life? And she explains the like two, well, I yeah. worked in the company uh, store for a little while. And she's like, there's no, you have no skills. We have that scene. Right. Right. In the very beginning. And then she yeah. gets all those jobs through her friends. So I just think that like, I think that it, the movie in some ways then is trying to have it both ways. I think it is trying to say that like, you can build a life stringing together a series of part-time jobs that people do not take seriously. So in that way, I think it is acknowledging the difficulty of gaining traction in a quote unquote career. But after that scene is established, like she does follow where the jobs take her. And so I think that it is a commentary on like the underclass of workers that we never see. Like how many of us knew there was a beet harvest, right? Like how many of us really think about like where our food comes from? And so I think there's some really striking, beautiful images there, like her and the mountain of beets and washing the dirt out of her hair. Like I think all of those are very evocative and poignant. But I just think that it seems like the movie, like you said, 
as a tone poem because like you agreed with me in the beginning like it does sort of skip over the steps of how we got to that place so i don't know i just think that sometimes it seems like the movie is trying to have it both ways and in that way sort of muddles its messaging is it difficult to be working class or not like i don't know i don't mm -mm. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, I don't, Jeff. I don't, I don't disagree that it that it's a po- tone poem or that it leaves a lot out. I, I just, for me, it's it's hard to imagine this this notion that you guys that would walk away thinking, boy, that she seems like she has such an easy, desirable sorry, sorry, life. Yeah. I, I apologize I, if if I came across as think conveying that it was easy. That's not that's not that was not my intention. What I intended oh, to say so was so when I said, do you actually think that? Yeah, you yeah. said every time I say those yeah. words, the yeah, answer yeah, is yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now the well, answer is no. Boy, it just seems uh, like maybe I shouldn't have been rebuked quite so. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think perhaps. anybody's saying that like the like the senior citizens who are forced to work in an Amazon mm-hmm. distribution center so they can feed themselves. I don't think anybody is saying that is easy. Yeah, I, I'm well, just I saying. Think, like, I think the point I was trying to make is that it, it the the movie conveys that it is easier than actuality, right? Like that's. Right. That's what I was trying to say. So that's what I thought you were going to finish that sentence with, Jeff. Is easier than actual reality, and so well, yeah, we don't we don't see enough of the deserved. struggle no, in between, joking. right? Um, yeah. um, I, th- I think like that's that's a good that's a valid complaint. We don't see the struggle in between her trying to get these jobs and not getting them and struggling. But I, I, there is a lot of struggle in this movie. Is the thing like so? I, I do think like there is a shorthand to it um, where, yeah, somebody who's out there who clearly she wants to work, you know, she has proven she is kind of driven and that's what she likes to do because she could take the easy life. She could go to LA with her sister. She could hang out with David Strathairn and his beautiful grandchild. And who, who doesn't want that, you know, but she would rather work. And that is the fundamental message of the movie to me. Like, yeah, she'll find work no matter what it is. It's not going to be great work. It's not going to be high paying work of any kind. Um, And to me, that struggle is the movie in a way. Um, But yeah, it could be clear about some of those things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because the the question is, is the movie about how difficult it is to be a nomad, which, which I think like we've defended it. Like sounds like we're all agreeing. It's not really about that. There's like some components of it that illustrate, why it might be difficult in some ways, but it's I really mean, it's, not. About it's that. a part of a. I, I think a movie could be about many things. I think yeah, it's a part. Yeah, of, I, yeah, yeah. Sure. I think well, this movie is about how well, hard it the, is when someone yeah. dies. Yeah, 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 I agree. No, Jeff, I, I completely agree. I think that's the that's the thrust of it. But the 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 reason I bring that up is because, like, we see she constantly declines opportunities, like with David Strathairn, to make her life easier. Right? Like, yeah, th- she could this have, is this yeah. is why I think the movie is more about this particular character and how she has found something that is not palatable to most people and yet for her somehow works i think that's the message of this movie that this individual always wanted this and didn't know it was a thing and no one else in her life understands that right everybody's like hey i'll give you a lifeline out of this existence and she says i this is not a i'm not suffering this is what I cho- how I choose to live. I am more free. I am more free to live this way. It is hard. It is it, I shit in a bucket. <laughs> but but the her connection with the land and with these other individuals that she comes across, this feeling of being uh liberated from from all of the things that we all think are are the benefits of society, the benefits of of a comfortable living she feels our shackles and she feels liberated from them. And I, that's, 
to me, I, I didn't take this as like, this is how it would be if every single person just, you know, cast off their belongings and got in a van. It, it's like this particular woman needed this and she found it. And I, sure. th- yeah. that was my takeaway. Yeah. I love the, there's a scene, by the way, where she and some of her friends go to the fancy RVs mm. and just seeing the disparity of the fancy RV, which is what I think a lot of people who watch this movie and be like, I would give up everything and just travel around the country. They they will end up in not, maybe not a goddamn bus, but you know, a, a nice RV with the kitchen, with the, you know, actual kitchen and maybe a bathroom or something. Um, it is not as nice as being in a home, but it's better than sitting in a bucket in a van. And I think that, that stratification is there too. Um, some people do think of this as just fun, but they're taking a different, you know, they have to treat it differently. It's a lot harder for them. Uh, Jeff, I think that's a wonderfully articulated perspective on the film. And I think that's why I feel like the, the part about the movie with the, the class, the class struggle, I think just uh, from my perspective has less teeth to it because mm. it's about somebody who has, the, a choice, right? She has a choice to not yeah. live the lifestyle, right? And and if it was somebody who was forced into this, then I think it would be about it would be a more enduring message about what is happening in America right now. But because it's not that, um, it's about it's it's basically a a more challenging version of eat, pray, love. You know? No, I'm just I'm being a little facetious. <laughs> oh my god, how dare you? <laughs> no, but you should I, have I, just I, led I, with that. Yeah. I think that's a really I think that's a really good point. Like a different version of this movie is a lot darker and is yeah. a lot, it does yeah. have a lot more teeth to it. But to me, what was so beautiful about it are the meditations along the way on death and friendship and nature and all these things that aren't really about the economic message. And it, it sort of allows the movie yeah. to be, as I said in my limerick about humanity, like it, it's about what it is to be human and what we need and what we want. It's, I I think the economic stuff is just a is just a setup and it's a very um pertinent one right it is it is of our time and perhaps if this movie was made like 6 months later than it was you know somehow made in covid times maybe it would have by nature have to be more about that but um I, I you know I I one of the reasons I like it so much is because it's able to be so many things at once. Mm-hmm. All right, Roxana, um, let's give you the last word. Uh, this has been a very spirited debate about the film, and I've enjoyed it. Um, and I'm curious, like, if you have changed your opinion or if you've landed anywhere different about this film, because I think the three of you came into this really loving it, and I was more cool on it. I thought it was fine. <laughs> Dave um, is saying, "Did I make you hate the movie?" <laughs> you should just, I don't. You know, yeah. I I don't think I would ever hate it because I think the technical mastery is just so impressive that even if it didn't connect with me on some fundamental level, you know, I could respect it for what it did. But like. I am that person who is trying to see all the natural parks. Like we canceled a few trips last year when the mm. world shut down. So like in a certain way, I'm seeing these places. I'm like, oh, the Dakotas, we were supposed to go there. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I do think like personally for me, it resonated. As a film, I do think what we sort of sussed out here is that if you can go into it thinking of it as a documentation of one woman's journey through grief and through rebirth sort of using 
the working class experience and the itinerant lifestyle to tell that story. I think if you can get on that wavelength, then it is meaningful. But I think if we're trying to have a conversation about like, what is the responsibility of cinema and like, what are movies quote unquote supposed to do politically, then yeah, I think you might run into some trouble. So I think it's really your question of like, what are you trying to get out of movies in general? And then I think that sort of might divide your take. Yeah. Uh, Well put Roxana and uh, appreciate you stopping by the slash filmcast this week to share your thoughts. All right, let's wrap things up. Um, This episode of the slash filmcast uh, was brought to you by our sponsors and our patrons over at patreon.com slash film podcast. You can find more episodes of the show at slash filmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast.gmail.com. Uh, our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Roxana, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Um, this week I am doing, I'm continuing my Freaks and Geeks recaps for Vulture. I'm doing a Golden Globes piece for them about Nicole Kidman's career, ranking all of her performances. And you can find some other reviews of mine at Polygon and Pajiba. All right. Um, thanks for joining us. Next week we'll be discussing Minari, the new film by Lee Isaac Chung. So look forward to that. It should be a great conversation. Thanks for listening to the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you later. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad, it's the Slash Filmcast. For all the news and the movies coming out, cause you know that it's the thing worth talking about. Oh wait, actually guys, I forgot. Do we have have our openings prepped? Okay, let's just just go into it. Alright, here we go. Uh, do, do yours have to do with the bucket, by the way, or can I do that one? <laughs> can I have the bucket? <laughs> can I have the bucket? Does everybody want the bucket? Everybody yeah. wants the bucket. Does everyone want the bucket? I think all of them should have to do with the bucket. <laughs> yeah, we should, we should all just do the bucket. Let's all do the bucket, because I actually have several. So, yeah. <laughs>